This podcast contains explicit language. I'm sorry, mom. Welcome to the Grape Escape podcast, the international winemaking podcast. I'm joined today by my co-host, Caitlin. Hi, Caitlin. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Where are you today? I'm in Napa. Oh, that's exciting. How's the weather in Napa? Uh, It's pretty rainy. It's been raining a lot. Oh, (laughs) yeah. California's been shitty. I forgot. Um, Yeah, I think we're worse weather than the East Coast, like rain-wise, cold-wise, sometimes. sucks. Um, Well, Caitlin is joining me today um, because we're really excited to have our friend and winemaker, Chloe, on the show. Hi, Chloe. How are you? Hi. I'm fine. Thanks. And you? (laughs) Very good. (laughs) Chloe, um, tell us where you are today. I'm Greece. I'm in Thessaloniki, Greece, in the North Star. Cool. Yes. How's the weather? The weather is fine. Today was a very sunny day. It was around 17 degrees, and everybody was outside. I mean, everybody. Yeah. It was nice. I'm jealous. Me too. (laughs) So, Chloe, you work at a winery in Thessaloniki. So can you tell us a little bit about your winery and what you do there? Yeah, because actually I work in a winery, which is my family winery. And it is in Rumenisa, which is a village like 60 kilometers away from Thessaloniki. Oh, okay. And... Yeah, so I go there every day, and every day I come back, and I do that on a weekly basis. But it's nice, and we make red and white wine and one rosé, and the main varieties of the region are Xenomovra and Negoska, two very tannic varieties, mm. like Nebbiolo. Oh, okay. And are those yeah. um, varieties that are only grown in Greece? Yes, both of them, and actually Negoska is a special variety of Umenisa. It is actually grown only in Humanisa. Cool. Yeah, it's nice. And then if you do like the appellation of origin of Humanisa, a wine like that, you need to have 70% of Xenomobra and 30% of Negoska. Okay. All right. So tell us yep. more about the region. What other varieties um, do, are people working with and how many other wineries are around you? Yep. So actually we have five wineries in the region. One is big. And all the other ones are family wineries, like around, I think that the biggest one is ours from the family ones, but it is 12 vectors. Okay. So we mainly grow Xenomover and Negoska. We have also some French varieties like Cabernet Sauvignon and Merlot, just in the region generally. And from the white varieties, we have Rovitis and Asirtico, both Greek varieties. And I think that everyone has a little bit of Sauvignon Blanc. Oh, nice. Yeah. In the past, it's true that in Greece, everybody was doing French wine. Like, they were trying to look like the French wineries with French varieties and, like, French style. But now, slowly, slowly, we go back to the indigenous varieties because Greece has around 300 indigenous varieties. So Mm. the new winemakers go, like, 
they look more on these indigenous varieties and the possibilities that they have. And that's very interesting. This region used to be like from the 19th century, it used to be a wine growing region. But then in like, I think it was 1917 that the phylloxera came in the region. Mm. And that is because Gumenza was taking part in the First World War. And so French people were living in Gumenza. And from the one side, they were drinking the wine of Gumenza and really appreciating it. But they say that it was them who brought phylloxera because they, they brought some vines from France which were infected. Mm-hmm. And the vineyards of Gumenza were completely destroyed. What, when did that happen about the phylloxera? Like 1917. Okay, so the early 1900s? Yes. And then like in 1924, I think, there were some refugees coming in the area of Greece, of Gumenza exactly, from uh, eastern Romelia, which was a part of Turkey. And they came, they were traditionally winemakers and like grape-growing families. And they came with the grapes, but also they knew the technique of grafting. Uh-huh. And that's how they, they put some vines, but not a lot, because it was just for the family. And then, like in the 70s, there was a big wine company of, of Greece, Butaris, you may know. Because like abroad, there is only Butaris everywhere <laughs> from Greece. And he came with his brother, and they saw that the region was very good for wine and for grape growing. So they gave, like, uh, actors to to people from the, the village, and they also gave them some knowledge about the new techniques on grape growing. And that's how they started planting vines. And today we have five wineries in the region, and it's considered a very important zone of the Greek wine I think <laughs> that's great. And um, how many acres total are are in your region? Do you think now they are five hundred sixty? Oh wow, quite big. Five hundred sixty of uh, for wine and like about one hundred for just eating grapes. Mm. And before, like in the nineteenth century, there used to be uh, one. 1,100 hectares. Oh, okay. So you really got wiped out then. Exactly. Well, that's uh, a common story all around Europe um, that I guess we haven't really talked about much on the podcast. But yeah, phylloxera really destroyed a lot of a lot of uh, vines um, in the early 1900s. Um, is there a, a deeper history? I know Greece... Um, they have, I think, maybe I'm wrong, um, haven't they traced um, some of the first winemaking ever to some, somewhere in Greece, or is that wrong? I, don't know. I think that yes, it's true. <laughs> like, because wine in Greece, it is a thing since the ancient times, and even in like, the 5th century before Christ, we have lots of things showing that the ancient Greeks were drinking wine. But then slowly this got lost, like after Phylloxera especially, mm-hmm. people just turned to other other cultivating things because they couldn't have vines. And so it was completely lost. And when it came back in the 70s, and that's the very interesting thing, it was because people from Greece went to France and they studied there. Mm. And by coming back, they tried to make good wine, but mainly on French standards. So yeah. we don't have really traditional winemaking techniques 
So tell us, tell us more about that. Tell us more about the winemaking techniques that you use. Until now, in a winery, it was a very like a quite technological one. Of course, it's a small winery. Just keep in mind always. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The year that I came back, I tried to see, like I made an experiment because I wanted to see what the indigenous yeast are going to give to the wine. So I made a white wine from acidical grapes and like it was barrel fermented. It was two barrels, barrel fermented and the one was had indigenous yeast and the, the other one had um, the commercial ones. And I wanted to see how the fermentation would go and what the aroma profile will be. And I think that the results are very, very nice because it is a completely different thing. For the commercial yeast, I use the, the X5 yeast, which gives the tropical fruits. But the, one, the other one, the indigenous, had like very flowery aromas mm. and something that no wine has given until now, you know, wine by using other yeast. So I see that the terroir of the region is very interesting, and I would like to make more experiments also with other varieties. I don't know if I want to make only natural wine without using sulfur, but I want it to be the biggest expression of the terroir of the region. Absolutely. Um, the last episode that we did, we were interviewing somebody who moved to Burgundy to make wine, and um, that is his philosophy as well. And we were talking about how how important it is to maintain the character of each region and to, exactly. to really focus and let the terroir express itself. Um, in the wine. So, yeah, I agree with you. That's a very interesting philosophy. And also for Greece. Greece is a very interesting country and can make very, very interesting wine. But it's a very small country. Mm-hmm. And the production is very small also. In Greece, I think that everyone is even aiming big quantities, very specific wine, which like represents the region and the history. We don't go for, like, we're not New Zealand. We're not going to make experts like New Zealand, and that, that's not what we, we should search for. Um, Chloe, so you worked in France, right? Yeah. Um, from, like, what you learned in winemaking in France, did you apply that to what you were doing in Greece, or did you do a completely kind of different style? I think that there were lots of things that I used from France, but I didn't just use all the steps. I used the right. most interesting things that I found, like barrel fermentation of white wine and aging and leaves. Uh, but I used an old barrel. While in Bordeaux, where I was working, they were using new oak barrels, and they just wanted the flavor that I didn't want. I didn't want. Right. I just wanted to see the fruit. And the other thing, like first time, I also worked in a natural winery in France, in Lombaral, and from there. I took a lot of things, like about how clean everything should be. Mm-hmm. And when you work without sulfur, that you need to like, not put the wine with oxygen a lot. Like the batonaza was doing it not so often because I didn't want to add more sulfur. So in the end, I have like, instead of 30 milligrams per liter of FSO2, I have 18 Mm. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. We should mention that Chloe and Caitlin and I all studied together doing our Masters of Enology and Viticulture. 
And when we were studying in Montpellier, especially, we were really exposed to um, lots of the new technology and lots of the new research um, and the new toys that you can use. Um, and it, it was cool to see that, I guess. We saw, you know, things happening at INRA, which is one of the most prestigious research centers, I think, in the world for winemaking and vine growing. Um, but I find it's, it's very uncommon, especially if you work for a medium or small winery, to ever use those techniques, you know? It was cool to learn about, but when would you ever use it? You know, the reverse osmosis and all those sorts of things, you know? I, I use that at the winery I work at, though. <laughs> well, you work for a big winery, Kate. <laughs> I, I know. I was like, it was beneficial to me because now I have to, like, understand it. Yeah. Um, Chloe, does anyone in your region use super, super high-tech stuff or is it all kind no. of old-fashioned? No, no, no. People don't use high-tech. I don't know if, yeah, because they have very small production, so they cannot afford high-tech. Mm-hmm. Like, bigger wineries, they use more high-tech, but it's not, like... Mm-hmm. New Zealand and Australia, I think all the wineries tend to be yeah. super high-tech because the labor is so much less, so they, like, needed to mechanize most things. Yeah. Um, now New Zealand, when I was with Tobias in New Zealand, we were saying that we we are making an alcoholic beverage made mainly by grapes. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's interesting to learn about. But um, so I guess you feel sort of the same way as Tobias then about uh, manipulating wine and and that that's yeah. Not I mean, thing. I understand why it exists, but I don't like it. Right. It was very interesting to work in such a winery for one time and to see how this wine is made. But I don't think that working more times in wineries like that is going to give me the experience that I want. <laughs> yeah, there aren't very many. Well, there are some options around here, but um, more people around here, I think, are in the small winery mindset as well. So um, it's not like out in California. <laughs> there are small wineries out here, you guys. I promise. Well, we'd have to come visit them then. <laughs> I'm waiting. Um, so you mentioned that you got to do a trial for natural yeast um, and for wild fermentations at your winery. Um, mm-hmm. So what else, what other sort of research would you like to do in your region to see what works best out there? If you could, If you could do anything you wanted, what would you want to do? Wow. <laughs> well, I would like to do something like in the viticultural field. Like now we're going to plant. So I would like to start like with biodynamic, just to make an experiment though. Uh-huh. I don't want to go to all the vineyard and start biodynamic. I would like to start something biodynamically and see how it's going. And maybe also trying to, I don't know, maybe cooperate with the university or stuff and do some some research on these because I'm not sure if it works but if I don't try it I'm not gonna be sure yeah so, so I would is, like to do something like that yeah yeah is anyone uh, well obviously not in your region but is anyone in Greece doing biodynamic stuff actually in my region there are two people doing biodynamic there's one guy in Rumenica and another guy in the next village and they're doing biodynamic and natural so yeah. 
It's going well, but the thing is that natural wine, it's not very highly appreciated in the Greek market right now. It's not exactly, like, I think that people in Greece search more for the the perfect wine. Mm. And, um, but it's true that in exports, they're going very well because the U.S. wants natural wine. So uh, I think that, like, people in Greece just need to be, educated on natural wine to start liking it and mm-hmm. it's something that comes slowly slowly but if people are going to do it more then people other people would need to face it and like start understanding what natural wine means yeah i think that's everywhere i don't think there's a huge market for it here and the, the other thing is like what is natural wine right so some yep. people say it's one thing some people say it's no well most people say it's no sulfur um but i think the definition is kind of different from winery to winery um but yeah i think a lot of people around the world like there was such a natural wine movement in france but i haven't seen Mm -hmm. as much natural wine anywhere else that i've traveled no it's true it's true yeah for me i think that i prefer the term least intervention Mm-hmm. I heard that in New Zealand, and I think it's a good term because natural is exactly what does it mean, natural. The least intervention, it is what it is. Yeah. Because it yeah. depends also on lots of things. It depends on your vintage. If you have a very bad harvest, then yes, you're going to interfere. You're going to do something. You're not going to leave your production to just die. <laughs> yeah. The winery that I work for, um, actually we are kind of the same thing. We're kind of the least intervention or minimal intervention. Um, but there's a lot of disease pressure. And so we're not certified organic or anything like that because we want to, if we have really bad disease or mold that year, um, we want to be able to protect our crops because we have to have something to, to make wine out of. You have to, <laughs> to have exactly. Yeah. Speaking of which, what sort of um, problems do you face in the vineyard? Um, in your region, bugs or mold I or anything like that? It is mainly down in middle year. Okay. And then we have a problem with botrytis, and that's because Xenoma vernagoska, which are the main varieties of the region, are like very late varieties. Like they, oh. they mature completely in the end of September. So if we have rains uh, during September, then we have a big problem of botrytis. And because we are organic, for us it's even worse because, okay, if you're um, conventional, then you can spray them and you're going to save something. But we as organic, at some point, we had a, a big problem because like in 2015, it was raining for the three first weeks of September. Wow. So we actually didn't harvest anything. We harvested something and we did a very good selection and... It's a very small production. Hmm. See, I thought Greece was just yeah. sunny all the time. <laughs> no, no, no. Everybody thinks so because everybody, when like I, I had so many times when I was abroad, people coming and telling me, "So you're from Greece and you live in these small like houses, white houses with blue windows, and you see the sea." And actually, this is on Santorini. No, I don't live there. <laughs> I live in a big city, and it isn't the north. And like. This year in January, it was snowing so much, and it was like minus 12. Oh. So, yeah. 
Yeah, this can also be cold. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting to know. Um, so then your harvest is a lot earlier, though. In, like, Niagara, we harvest earliest, you know, beginning of September, but then sometimes all the way through October and November. Um, so you harvest much earlier okay. than that. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, because, like, imagine that in Sadorini, which is an island, like, in the south, they harvest, they start harvesting beginning of August, and by the end of August, they're done. Hmm. Yeah, it depends, depends on the weather. Of course. Do, do they grow red varieties, too, or white varieties? Mainly white varieties. Okay. That like, they also have some red ones, but it is mainly the white fauna circuito. They're very famous for that. Do you, do you sell your wine globally? Yep. Yes, yes. We sell in uh, in the U.S., mainly New York, uh, Canada, Australia, uh, and then Belgium, Holland, Germany, uh, Cyprus. I don't know if I forget something, but that's the main picture. Molly, are you going to get some of Chloe's wine? Yeah, I want to know now where in Canada you sell it. You live in New York, oh. you No, dink. but she... She she means New York City. I know, but you yeah, you've never City. been there. You should go there. Okay, I should go to New York City. I know that. Okay, everybody, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> in Canada, there is a guy like he speaks French. And uh, he's it's in, uh, in Quebec. Quebec. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Damn. And uh, his name is Bertrand. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yes. What's your case production? How many cases do you produce every year? Or bottles? Yes, I, I will tell you bottles. It yeah. is like 60,000 bottles. Okay, year. that's pretty pretty yeah. decent. Not bad. Yeah. 60,000. That's like 5,000 cases. I just did the math in, on a calculator, but Ooh, now I... Bravo, Caitlin. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, but that's, what I, that's about what my winery does. It's about 5,000 cases. Do you do all your fermentations in barrels, or do you do tank fermentations? No. No, 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 no. It, is, it was only my experiment done like that. We just okay. use tanks. Yeah. Do you age like, in barrel uh, or do you inex. age in tank? We age in barrel, but only the Xenomov and Negoska, like the very tank varieties, we age them in barrels for... It can go up to two years, but depending on how tannic the vintage was. Right. And, uh, yeah, but the white ones, we never age them. Because we want to mainly to conserve the fruit. So your red wines must have very long age potential. Yes, it does, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I drank a wine that I found in our cellar. Like it, was, like it was forgotten. It was from 1985. Cool. And it was actually very good. Very good. It is true that the acidity had gone down. But it was good, like very nice aromas and very like chocolate and mocha, coffee. And... But there was also fruit, like wild cherry. And it was very interesting to see that. But it can leave that long. Yeah, that's awesome. You should promote that. Yeah, yeah we do. We already do. Because it is, it's a strong wine. Like if you drink it now, the 2013 vintage, it's, it's good. You can drink it, but you need food. Mm. <laughs> and what kind of food? Uh, meat. It is mainly Wait, meat because it's a, I am. Yes, <laughs> I have some problems. <laughs> but so I do, sometimes I do fish with tomato, and I drink it like that. <laughs> some vegetarian options. This can be a cooking show too, or a wine pairing show. <laughs> wine pairing for vegetarians. Um. So Chloe, we like to do this thing on the podcast called Wine or Wine. 
and um, you have the option, you can either complain about something, or you can recommend a wine that you think we should try to find to taste, or you can do both. Okay. <laughs> uh, I will choose to recommend. Okay, good. But I will have to recommend some grace, okay? <laughs> and I will not recommend my wine, uh, just to say also something else, no. Okay. Would be yeah. interesting like that. Yeah. So, I will say it was a wine from the variety Robola, which comes from a Greek island called Kefalonia. I think that Kefalonia is where there was a, a musical, Mamma Mia. I think <laughs> it was there, but I'm not sure. Yeah. So it comes from there, and it is a, a one producer called Sklavos, who is doing homeodynamic cultivation, hmm. which is even further than biodynamic. I don't know a lot about it, but the one is very interesting because it has a very interesting, like, almost orange color, but it is very fresh, but with great acidity, and, like, very fruity, but, like, uh, white peaches and... Um, flowers, like white flowers and stuff, but it keeps going and it keeps changing for quite a long time. So it's very, a very funny wine because it's also nice, but every time you drink a sip, it is also a little bit different. Mm, that's my favorite kind of wine. Um, yeah. <laughs> this reminds me, you know, like the orange wine thing. This reminds me to ask you, does does anybody age an amphora in, in Greece? So... Now it is, a, it is a bit of a fashion to make orange wine. Yeah. So um, I think that I know only two people who ate in amphora, but outside of the ground, not like buried. Uh. Uh, and all the other people, they make it in uh, like inox tanks. And it hmm. is not exactly orange wine. It is something that would like to be orange wine. <laughs> No. Would you ever make orange wine? It's interesting. I was I was thinking about it, but it's true that I would like to start drinking orange wine before making it. <laughs> making it. And, well, it's uh, very hard to drink like, yeah. sometimes. It's it's very. Yeah. I know. Uh, it is, maybe... Sometimes it is very oxidized, and like I drank one on Thursday, and I cannot say that I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And if I don't enjoy a wine, I don't want to make it. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Definitely not. Yeah, I haven't really got the taste. It's like sour beer. Have you ever had to try sour beers? Sour beer. I think sour beers are so interesting. Yeah, but they, I don't like drinking them. They're interesting, but I don't I don't like, want to drink them. Yeah. I think that, <laughs> I can drink like a little taster glass, but if they get a pint of it, you're like, um, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, okay. Um... Okay, so I will say thank you very much to Caitlin and Chloe for joining me today, and uh, especially thank to Chloe you. for our, all the information about about Greek wines and about her region. So thanks, guys. No problem. <laughs> okay. Well, I feel like the close-off is always fucking awkward, so...
shout out to... Richard Andel. Thanks, Richard. Hey there! If you're still listening this far into the podcast, you must really enjoy it. Please follow the Grape Escape podcast on Instagram or Facebook. Send us some likes and comments there. You can also subscribe and rate us and leave comments on iTunes or subscribe on SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts. Cheers!